Angeles fundraisers. I'm Don Lego. It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, let's get going. Welcome back to Raise Nation Radio. If you've been with us before, thank you so much for making the show so popular, for being a fan. We are approaching our 100th milestone episode. We couldn't be more excited and we just love um, bringing you the this daily dose of inspiration to the fundraising community. If you're new with us, Raise Nation Radio actually streams on 10 channels. So you, we're, um, hopefully we're on your, your favorite. We are also on demand at onecause.com and we're live at the annual Raise Conference. If you haven't heard about it, please check it out. September 11th and 12th. This year we'll be at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, Tennessee. But we are going to get into this episode right now. And if you've been with us before, this time last year, we were talking about the 2022 Giving Experience Study. Fast forward a year later, that went quick. Here we are again, a brand new study just released last week. And it's going to knock your socks off. And I love this year over year data that gives us opportunity to track trends and um, just, you know, figure out some insights about what's going to happen maybe next so that we can move forward with some research behind us. So I invited two of my colleagues in here to the show today to help us dive deep into this study and get some geeky conversation going. So please welcome to the show. You've seen her before. You've heard her before. The wonderful um, Miss Sarah Sebastian, our Director of Corporate Communications, and our incredible and amazing VP of Marketing, Kelly Velasquez-Hegg. Sarah, Kelly, welcome to Raise Nation Radio. Thank you. Super happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. You know, our audience loves to get to know us. So um, other than just your title, why don't you just uh, share a little bit about yourself to our audience, what you do for one cause, and I don't know what makes you tick, whatever you feel like sh uh, sharing. Sarah, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, you already mentioned I'm the director of corporate communications here at One Cause. Uh, I've been here for just over a year in the fundraising tech industry for over eight years now, which feels very weird to say and makes me feel kind of old. Um, <laughs> but you're the opposite uh, of old. Stop that. <laughs> uh, love doing the research. This is the second time I've done a study for One Cause. And, you know, outside of work, if you're interested in knowing anything about me, uh, I do volunteer for Florida Access Network here in Florida. And and I am known for being a bit of a bird nerd going bird watching pretty frequently. So we always get pictures of your birds are always so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super special. Well, Kelly, everybody knows you. You're such a thought leader in this space and you speak around the country. But from your words, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, uh, I don't know about, uh, you know, my popularity in the space, but I do know that on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm surrounded by amazing people, Don, Sarah, the rest of the marketing team here at One Cause. Um, we put out 
all of the stuff that you all consume, the podcasts, the webinars, the eBooks, the content. Um, we love to share strategies that we learn from our nonprofit customers and take those and turn them into ideas and ways to help you all raise more, reach more. I've been at one cause. I don't even know, Don, like what are we like decade? Plus? Let's just say decade plus. Over a decade. Um, so <laughs> over a decade, uh, well into over a decade. Uh, and I've been in fundraising for 20 plus years. I was a director of development uh, before my time at one cause. So super passionate about uh, fundraising and understand what it takes day to day in the trenches to help keep powering um, your missions. So appreciate all you fearless fundraisers out there. On a personal note, I've kind of gotten into bird watching through Sarah. <laughs> though I am not, uh, though I'm yes. much a novice in it, but I'm an avid hiker. I'm an avid e-biker. And lucky enough, after 27 years in Chicago, uh, to move to Sonoma and get to be outside all the time. So that's when I'm not talking fundraising, I'm probably walking and thinking about fundraising. <laughs> it's so true. And we love that empathetic voice that you lend to all of our content, um, just given your background. Um, but it does sound like we need to have a company meeting in Sonoma. So that would be really yes, cool. for sure. <laughs> Come on out. Make it happen. All right. Well, let's dive. Who wants to get geeky with me? I know the two of you uh, don't mm -hmm. mind this at all. Um, so to both of you, maybe Sarah, we'll start with you. Can we just, you know, level set? What should our listeners know about the giving experience study? Let's start right there. Sure. Yeah. Um, this is actually the fourth uh, social donor study uh, that One Cause has done. Um, we started doing social donor research in 2018. Uh, in 2021, the second study was conducted and really kind of shed a lot of light on how giving changed during the pandemic. There were those drastic shifts we all know. <laughs> um, and then last year in 2022, we saw that beginning of a return to in-person fundraising. Uh, and then this year, we're really seeing a bit of a return to quote unquote normal uh, when it comes to social giving, which we'll explain during the podcast. We're really going to dive in there. Um, and I do want to kind of touch on the survey methodology just a little bit uh, before we get into some of the numbers. Uh, we do work with Edge Research. They're this trusted research firm based in Washington, D.C. They do amazing work with lots of nonprofits, some that I'm sure you've heard of, Human Rights Campaign, Meals on Wheels. Uh, and when the survey's launched, it's to a pool of people that is census representative. Uh, so we're really ensuring that we're getting accurate representation from various groups, all ages, regions, races, income levels. Um, so we can really be confident when we present our data that it's an accurate representation of that larger population. Um, and we were really thrilled that we surveyed over 1,100 people who self-identified as social donors this year. All right, stop there. Social donors. <laughs> I always get a little tripped up here. I hear the word social and regardless of what comes after it, I think social media, right? So um, we are not talking about fundraising exclusively via social media, but what are we talking about? Can you, can somebody, maybe Kelly, can you explain what is a social donor? Absolutely. And I, I think that it can be a common um, misconception that it has to do with social media. The definition of social donors are donors who give through ticketed events. So think galas, golf, auctions, those kinds of events, special events, um, through peer-to-peer -peer run, walks, or rides, or through 
online campaigns such as challenges or occasion giving? So that's the technical answer. The answer that I always use um, and when I'm talking with Fearless Fundraisers is it is think of it as like donors who are giving in socially motivated and socially powered ways because they're either having a connection socially at a ticketed event or they're being asked to participate or to sponsor somebody in a run, walk, or ride or an occasion, a birthday, a memorial tribute. Uh, it's all the ways in which donors give in those capacities. It encompasses a huge swath of fundraising events and online campaigns and peer-to-peer. Um, so it's a wide net. Uh, and what's, it's one of the reasons that makes this data so powerful when we're able to bring it back and share it with you. Got it. Okay. So I know you're involved in some um, charitable events. You ask me to support maybe something one of your daughters are doing. That makes me a social donor. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yep. And yep. Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, this actually happened with my grandma last year. Like after I, after I did this study, uh, she saw a few links to it and she was reading. She didn't know really what a social donor was. And she had recently donated to uh, one of my campaigns that I had posted for a 5K to support me. I was like, you're a social donor uh, and use that as an example. And she was like, oh, OK, now I get it. So, yep. OK, perfect. well, if grandma that. gets it, then now <laughs> I get it, too. That's great. <laughs> and this is kind yeah. of. Um, oh, go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say, or, uh, you know, my mom decides to join me at an auction representing my favorite zoo. She's now a social donor. Got it. All right. Good examples there. And this is kind of full circle because Sarah, you said that you were here just about a year with one cause, but wasn't it baptism by fire last year when you started the 2022 giving experience study? Yeah, Isn't that, that was, how you entered one cause? Yep, that was my first big project here. So I came in, uh, you know, got a few <laughs> days of training right that first week and I was like, all right, jump right into the research. Jump into research. So, nothing, yep. nothing small, just jump good. into research. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> all right. Well, I love the banter between us, but come on guys. I want to get into some of the key findings. Um, what stood out this year? Sarah, I know you have something to say here. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, touched on this a little bit uh, in the intro. I hate saying we all are kind of shy of the word normal after everything that's going yeah, on. Yeah, what does that mean? Years. But uh, things are kind of showing a return to normal with social giving. Um, so in last year's study, there was a six point increase in the number of people surveyed who self-identified as social donors. So there was this big kind of rise through the pandemic. It was a 29% last year, but this year took a little bit of a dip back down to 23%, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, It really just means that social donors are starting to look more like the general population. Again, Hmm. Um, people were spending so much more time in front of their screens. You know, you had your phone right in front of your face all the time because you couldn't go outside. Um, when there were a lot more of those virtual options, this really caused that bump that we saw in social giving. Um, so for reference, back in 2018, before the pandemic, uh, it was at 23%. So we're back to that same number right now. Oh, so it's really not a bad thing. It's not scary. It's just kind of back to quote unquote normal again. Yeah. Hmm. Kelly, anything to add? Well, I, oh, yeah, a couple of things. Yeah, I always have something to add. You know that. <laughs> I do know that. Yes. When when I think about the twenty three percent, and you know, you think about the total U.S. adult population and twenty three percent, it's like fifty eight, sixty million potential social donors out there for nonprofits with the right strategies 
and the right kind of campaigns and events to be able to tap into. I think before I talk about the trend that I think jumped out to me the most, I want to talk about why I think this research is so important and what differentiates this research from a lot of the other studies out there. And let's be honest, whatever studies you can get our hands on, However, we can keep learning as fundraisers, it's amazing. But what makes One Cause and the Giving Experience study so unique is that we're talking to a thousand, well, actually 1,100 social donors themselves. It's the donors telling us what they want, what they need, what they expect from giving and their interactions with the nonprofits that they support. So if you needed a roadmap into the mindset of today's donors, that's what this research study from 2018 through 2023 will help you pinpoint by different event types um, on total demographic level what today's donors are expecting in their charitable giving process. But the one stat that stands out to me and makes me the most, well, not the most excited, but very excited, is that social donor loyalty is trending upward. What does that mean? There's not only a ton of social donors, they're incredibly loyal. Um, 75% of them said they had a likelihood of continuing to support this year. I mean, that's huge. Just of five points from 2022 and nine points from 2021. In a time when there's donor churn and retention stats are where they are, some 50%, having a donor base that you can tap into that says they are inherently more likely to continue supporting you is a donor base not only worth attracting and cultivating, um, but unlocking the right strategies to keep them. I mean, I just think three quarters of uh, social donors saying that they're loyal is a super positive stat for nonprofits today. Oh, it's huge. And it really speaks to segmentation and personalizing your messaging. So if you have that group of, of social donors and first time donors that that you have segmented and, and to know that you're 75% of them will remain loyal. Ooh, let's customize some messaging to them and keep that momentum and retention going. So that's a that's great news. Really, I love hearing that. All right. So last year, let's move to a little different topic, um, but kind of the same topic about loyalty. We talked a lot about trust um, being a key generosity motivator. And I think I'm going to know the answer to this question already, just based on, you know, talking about loyalty. So is are we seeing trust um, another motivating factor for this year as well, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this year, the three uh, top generosity motivators were actually trust alongside mission and ease. And they were basically tied uh, for the top three slots uh, ahead of some of our other motivators that people ranked. Um, ease is, you know, it's still remaining in those top motivators, um, but really this presence of mission kind of moving into that top three alongside trust this year is really showing there's this return to mission-focused giving and really a need for donors to be able to have confidence and faith in the causes they're supporting. Everybody's still in kind of really an uncertain kind of headspace. There's this weird economic situation going on right now. So people are being very careful with with their money. So trust is still very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll also add, I think, yeah, trust is, if you think about these things in combination with each other, mission and, and, and understanding what a mission does and feeling connected to it and, and trust, I trust that the organization is going to do impactful things with my donation and that they make it easy to give. 
because they're so closely uh, ranked together, um, I also think they're interlinked. And so you one helps drive the other. And what I think is super interesting is that we think donors are being more deliberate or social donors are being more deliberate uh, this year. They're looking at the missions that they support. They're saying, do I feel a connection? Do I feel that trust? Is there that level of integrity that makes me motivated to give? And do they make it easy? And I think ease continues to be something that's super important. It needs to be something we continue to look at as we engage with the supporters in our base. Like, are we making it easy for them to give? Because today's donors don't take off their consumer hat when they're making a gift. They expect seamless interactions, whether it's a charity or it's Amazon. And so we have to keep ease at the forefront because if it's easy and think about your real life, you trust the things that are easy. You don't trust the things that are complicated. Uh, so again, ease, trust, and mission, good missions working together to unlock generosity is, is the key to, to tapping into these social donors. Okay. I'm going to put you both on the spot then. <laughs> how, do, how do nonprofits know what will make I mean, we're giving out great stats, right? They'll be loyal. You just have to work on ease. That's easy, right? Plenty of innovation out there to make, you know, the whole journey easy and the experience wonderful. But how do you make donors trust a nonprofit organization? I'm so sorry, but I'm going to put you guys on the spot. (laughs) No worries. Um, It's perfect because so last year's study, when trust really kind of came into those top motivators, we knew that this year we would want to ask, you know, okay, well, what makes donors trust nonprofits that they give to? And that's exactly what they did. So we had direct feedback from uh, the donors who took part in this study on what makes them trust nonprofits. Um, And really overwhelmingly, we saw a lot of answers that were related to demonstrated impact. Uh, We had donors say, you know, they receive those annual reports, they get magazines in the mail showing impact that ran throughout their responses. People wanna know where their money's going, that it is actually doing something. Um, Impact in local community uh, was very important too. We get our data in this big spreadsheet and I did like a control find for the word community throughout and just just kept getting hits as I was going through. So I just did that and pulled a few quotes. So community popped up a lot. They really want to know there's a local impact there too. Um, There were also quite a few answers uh, related to personal connections uh, to local organizations. People knew a board member, they knew the people that founded the organization, and there was really a belief in the integrity of a cause, of the people that worked there, which really emphasizes the importance of kind of being present in and promoting your mission's impact in the local community. Um, And there was another here, that research uh, played a big part in trust and kind of a fun fact. There were a lot of answers about organizations having good charity navigator scores. Every single one of those answers uh, came from members of the boomer generation. So there were some generational differences throughout this information too. And I know Kelly had one that stuck out to her uh, as well, as far as the generational differences go. Oh, Kelly, tell us. because. Yeah. Yeah. The boomers, I mean, this is a signal to nonprofits, the boomers and matures are doing their research. I mean, a lot of the generations are doing their research, but like if that's a big part of your base, uh, make sure your online profiles are generating trust. But the one that stuck out to me was Gen Z. Gen Z pays attention to the marketing aesthetics of a brand. 
how does it look? How does their website look? How does their brand stand out? Is it polished? Um, you know, are they, are they professional? And I think that that's fascinating from um, a brand perspective is that, and you think about it, I mean, it's the same in the consumer world, um, but that your brand and what your brand projects, it matters, especially if you're trying to attract, attract uh, Zenji, Zenji, uh, Gen Z, uh, social donors. Mm-hmm. And there, this marketing aesthetic thing, there was one response that kind of cracked us up because it was just very short and to the point it was like, it looks official. And that was, that was from a Gen Z donor. So it's you know, quite important. I'm not surprised. I mean, so it's interesting because charity navigator, trusted source. So, you know, the boomers are going there. So nonprofits, fearless fundraisers, you're hearing this, go to charity navigator, update your, your profile. But I'm not surprised to hear about the uh, Gen Z because they really grew up with technology mm-hmm. and innovation at their fingertips and a lot of DIY um, technology with Canva and just different apps and solutions and AI. So they're very used to seeing things a lot more polished very early on. So I'm not surprised. And and I think that's a good wake up call to do a brand check. Um, mm-hmm. Kelly, yeah. Kelly, Kelly is in a big favor of that as well. She's always Always policing our brand. So I'm sure you're very in line with the Gen Zers, aren't you, Kelly? Well, I mean, I just think it's, I think it's fascinating with the Gen Zers and I think you're absolutely right. They're tech first generation. They're also, think of Insta, uh, you know, Insta, Finsta, my personal brand, how polished many of yeah. those uh, interactions are. They're looking for that, that same thing when they look outward uh, yeah. for the causes that they support. So interesting. Wow. 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 So interesting. All right. Well, I know we have limited time and I really want to get to a topic that I hope you have some data on events. Um, can we take a look there? Anything that stood out about events? We, we all, I, I would think, you know, in the, in the pandemic, did I say that word? I did. Okay. Everybody was virtual and, you know, trying to get comfortable with a screen in front of them. Then post pandemic, it was just go to an event, right? I don't Mm -hmm. care if it's in a log cabin and you're, you know, you're giving me, you know, a Dixie cup with, you know, a glass of water in it. I'm at an event. That's all I care about. What's Uh going on now? Anything to share, Sarah? Yeah, um, continuing to see people really flocking back to in-person. Um, 78% of social donors said their last kind of social giving experience was in-person. And for certain types, this was even higher. So 87% of those event donors, you know, the auction gala goers, um, said that their last event was in-person. So that's incredible, 87%. Wow. And then, uh, 69% of run, walk, ride donors said that their last event was in person as well. Um, so those numbers are really starting to, to go up. Um, and what we really noticed here that along with this return to those in-person events, and you just kind of touched on this, there is an increasing desire really for these high quality, unique experiences. Um, fewer social donors this year really rated their experience as excellent. Uh, and there's been kind of a steady downturn there since 2021, because people at that point, like you said, they were just so happy to see other people in the flesh. They didn't care where they were, but now they're really looking for more at those in-person events. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Quality yeah. experiences. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. Kelly, what do you have to add there? Well, I think quality experiences is definitely a driver, uh, and this is where I, I think it's super interesting just to shed a little backstory light for the listening audience, like shout out to our customer success team. 
this is really just so awesome to have these listening posts around the, con- uh, the country that are talking to nonprofits every day. I think about eight or nine months ago, maybe even longer, um, you know, talk to some of the CS people. I try to talk to them regularly because they keep a pulse on what's going on day to day. And they were like, hey, Kelly, uh, we're, we're just hearing people are they're, they're looking for unique experiences. Nonprofits are thinking about what unique experiences they can deliver. And people are really looking at VIP and ticket options. And Sarah and I were like, hmm, that's interesting. So we should probably do something around that in the study. And so we did. We, you know, we asked questions around ticketing options and VIP experiences. And what we found was super, super interesting um, that donors do actually want VIP ticket options at events that they're attending. Um, 62% of the event donors said that it was very or somewhat important that there are different types of ticketing options and ticketing packages available. And then 27% of them actually, so like 30% of them actually purchased them. So they are looking for events. 60% are looking for, looking at and attending events that have those options and 30% purchase them. And I'd say for those nonprofits out there who want to be more egalitarian in their approach, you don't have to use the word VIP. Just think ticket packet op- package options. Think about the different levels, the different benefits, the different experiences that you can create in your events. And I encourage you all to try it and put it out there and help differentiate your giving experience and meet what today's donors are looking for. So ticket options stands out. Sarah, I know you're also passionate about this. What else do you have to say? Uh, yeah, sure. There were some subgroups that really saw more of an interest here and more purchase of VIP tickets to um, younger generations, Gen Z and millennials. They really wanted to have those tickets available when it came to actually purchasing them. uh, 42% of millennials who said that there was a VIP option at their last event actually purchased one. That's a very large number of people uh, to actually go through with that purchase there. Uh, And I know kind of a mindset, I would typically think, you know, okay, maybe an older donor would want to have a VIP ticket. You know, you can get this kind of snazzy little experience. At least that's what I associate with VIP in my mind. Maybe there's a seated table at this event. Uh, but it was really those younger donors that were looking for them to have this kind of interesting standout experience. Um, one thing I do kind of want to touch on here, disabled donors were also uh, likely to purchase mm. one. So just kind of a red flag there for folks. Um, All the way around then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind wow. of thinking about making your events intentionally inclusive because you don't want to have people feel forced to buy a VIP ticket just to make uh, sure that they have an accessible option at one of your events. So that was something that really stood out to us too. Yeah. It seems like we're taking a hard look at those ticket packages, right? That, that, um, and I love this trifecta. I love the fact that we're looking, we're getting feedback from our CS team, conducting research accordingly. And then, you know, we have, our team that are slicing and dicing and dissecting it and all areas point to look at your ticketing packages. I'm super fascinated by that, but it's very actionable. So it's kind of easy to, to, you know, just walk away and implement too. But Kelly, I think you were going to say something. Oh yeah, for sure. For, uh, um, for those wondering what CS is, it's our customer success team. Sorry, I use acronyms, uh, but they're the ones that are helping our nonprofits uh, get the most from the fundraising software. But what I will say is the other group that jumps out too, Sarah, if I get the actual stat wrong, please correct me. But I think it was like 
42% of urban donors also, or there was a huge percentage of urban donors who participated in ticket options. So for those of you fundraising in cities, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that you have ticket options is important because not only to cater into what they want, but if I'm sitting down and I'm looking at three different events that I could attend and I gravitate towards those with ticket options, your event, your fundraiser is going to stand out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And it was 41% of urban donors. You, you almost memorized it. That was, that was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Very interesting. So that's a, that, that's an easy win for um, nonprofits to, you know, take a look at the, a hard look at the ticketing packages. If you're a one cause customer, please talk to your CS team or your customer success team. And gosh, thank goodness. One cause fundraising platform has such flexible and modern ticketing options. So if you're a one cause user, Start exercising some of those features. Um, all right. Well, I don't want to uh, belabor that point anymore. I do want to jump ahead to some concern areas. Um, what do nonprofits need to be watchful for and concerned about this year? What did the research tell us, Sarah? Sure. Um, I think one thing to definitely keep an eye on is there's a possibility that as nonprofits are really holding fewer of these virtual events uh, as we move into a post-pandemic world. There's access to social giving might be narrowing for younger, diverse audiences. Um, It was really opened up uh, during the pandemic with all of those virtual options. Folks that didn't have access to uh, social giving were really kind of welcomed in in a new way. Uh, This year, we saw a drop in the number of Black donors reporting participating in social giving, and also fewer donors reported being motivated by events being welcoming and inclusive. So that was something that kind of popped out for us. Um, there was really that positive piece of the pandemic. There was a, an abundance of virtual options that opened the doors for social donors of all ages and all demographics. Uh, so definitely something to keep an eye on for everybody. Hmm. Now I echo what Sarah said. I think the one red flag sounds a little dramatic for me, but the, like the one like the glaring thing that comes out of the research is let's not lose the incredible access to philanthropy that was created during the pandemic for people of all demographics, shapes, sizes, um, ethnic backgrounds. I think there was a great equalizer during the pandemic with the introduction of virtual options that broke down the barriers to giving. Um, You didn't have to spend, you know, $300 to get to an event. Um, You could hop on online. And so, thinking in our strategies about the ways that we can continue to make sure our fundraising is inclusive and accessible um, so that we can continue to reach donors everywhere. Um, and, and so I think that that is a super important lesson as we reemerge from the pandemic, not to lose some of those silver linings that we gave uh, during those turbulent times. Yeah, we certainly did have some lessons learned that we all said back then that we hope we carry into the future. And it sounds like that's still the same message. This is just so interesting, so fascinating. I can go on and on all day. Um, Kelly, can you wrap up a couple of just, I don't know, touch points um, that you might want to uh, share from all of the research? Sure. I'll share some of my favorite nuggets. I think 
we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about retention. We talked about loyalty and the fact that 75% of social donors, again, social donors being people who give to events and peer-to-peer run lock rides and those socially focused online campaigns, 75% of them are loyal. But what does that mean when it actually comes to retention? Well, good news for nonprofits. We also asked them how likely they were to become regular annual donors. And 70% of those surveyed said that they're very or somewhat likely. So if you do the right things, and again, it's all in the study, um, and it's broken down by you know event and giving type. If, if you follow that framework of what donors say they want, they expect, they need, you have a 70% likelihood of retaining and cultivating regular annual donors. Um, these other two stats I think are fascinating when we think about, we, we slice and dice the composite of who these social donors are. And almost 40%, so 39%, 4 and 10, were lapsed donors who hadn't hmm. given to a cause in like one to 10 years. And these social fundraising opportunities were able to attract them back. So you think about them not as just engaging your active donors, but about 40% of them you can get uh, to come back to your cause. And 27% were first-time donors. So the net of being able to attract uh, donors with social fundraising, social giving opportunities is huge. Um, and we think about the Holy Grail, like engaging your active donors, getting net new donors, and, and tapping back into those who haven't been engaged in your cause. Social giving allows you to do that. So again, take a look at the study. There's a lot of great information in there. Well, that segues me to where can we download the study, Sarah? Can you tell us where this is living? Yeah, sure. Just ahead to the One Cause website, onecause.com. Um, there's a resource center there in the menu, and there's a dedicated research uh, section in that dropdown. And you can find this year's study and past studies there as well with a ton of resources. Uh, we also uh, had our launch webinar yesterday, uh, and that should be on demand on the website as well that runs through the key findings. Uh, so there's a ton out there already, and I know there's more to come too. Allie, what's more to come? Can you tell us? Yes, absolutely. But first, I'll echo what Sarah says. Like, for those of you who love charts and love to see data live, check out the on-demand webinar um, on cause you know on the onecause.com in the webinar section. But we have a ton of content. We take this and we try to find ways all year round to make it practical and accessible to nonprofits. So we've got infographics. I think we already have like two or three that are about ready to go live. Uh, we have blogs on key findings. We'll have checklists. We'll have a ton of content that you all can parlay into amazing fundraising strategies. Yeah. And if um, our audience has any questions, you can just reach out to us um, at hello at onecause.com. Um, it is one of our favorite topics, research. I, hopefully you can hear um, how passionate we are and how fascinated we are by the data. So we love to talk about it. If there's anything you need clarity on or you'd like to share, reach out to us um, at hello at onecause.com. So just to recap, the full study is available under the resource section at onecause.com. There's a webinar on demand and stay tuned for the next 365 days as we put out some derivative content. Um, it'll be a, there's a resource tab at onecause.com that'll take you through all our different content. I wish we can keep talking and talking and talking or maybe do a part two podcast, but that is about all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 1230 p.m. 
p.m. That's Thursdays, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But in the meantime, listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio. Just follow the channel that you like best so that you can get notifications about our new guests. And if you're a fundraiser and you would like to be featured on one of our upcoming episodes, please reach out at hello at onecause.com. We'd love to have you. Fundraisers are doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Your stories are awe-inspiring. We'd love to welcome you to the show. I would like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Check it out at onecause.com. And as we mentioned, please visit the resource tab on the homepage for a broad catalog of content that hopefully you'll find very helpful. A huge shout out and thanks once again to my guests, Sarah Sebastian, Kelly Velasquez-Hegg, for sharing a very expert and authentic voice Ladies, I'm so excited that you were joined Raise Nation Radio. Um, Kelly, for the first time today, and Sarah coming back. I so enjoyed our conversations, but I do have to ask, because we ask everybody, um, any last words of inspiration? Sarah, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, I think mine, just thinking about how we've seen kind of this, you know, looming, there's going to be a recession, there's not going to be a recession, and there's a bit of a downturn in giving. Just to nonprofits right now, especially with what we've seen in this data, those of you who are holding those social fundraisers, think about that loyalty stat. 75% are so likely to continue supporting you. So there are donors there that are just ready, willing, and will continue to support you, whether or not it's in an economic downturn through a pandemic. Like they've been there, they're not leaving. Uh, So just hopefully that gives you a little bit of confidence and encouragement uh, to keep doing what you're doing. And thank you for what you're doing. Kelly, can you give our audience some inspiration as well, please? But first I thought I was having a Brene Brown moment. I was going <laughs> to ask me what my playlist is. What my favorite, five favorite songs, fundraise too. But no, um, I, I will produce that five favorite songs of fundraise too. But what I will say to you is, you know, use the data, read the report, but remember fundamentally that what you do matters every day and the causes that you support have huge impact. And so no matter what goes on in the macro economy, um, your mission is super important and it attracts donors for a reason to keep doing what you do and just layer in some of these strategies and help uh, like tap into what's going on with today's donors. Well, thank you both for that inspiration. And I echo your thoughts. Um, And with that, let me express gratitude to all of you for what you do every day. We hope this research is helpful and our content is helpful. We're really just here to help. We want you to achieve all the success you can with your mission. So thank you again so much for listening. That is a wrap. Until next time, I'm Dawn Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there. (laughs) 